Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the PR Weekly, the podcast where industry news, analysis and gossip come to play. I'm Arvin Hickman, news editor of PR Week, and I'm joined by... John Harrington, PR Week UK editor. Today we're going to look at whether PR professionals want to return to the office and we'll be taking you behind all of the headlines and gossip going on to the past seven days, including massive week for former Downing Street comms directors. This is our first episode of the PR Weekly, and we know it won't be your last. The aim of this podcast is to unpack all of the things communications professionals need to know in one short weekly listen. What has been keeping you busy lately, John? Well, awards in a word, Arvind. We've had um, two award shortlists um, in the last few days, Best Places to Work and the PR Week Global Awards. Um, congratulations, obviously, to all the finalists. Uh, it's worth saying both these awards have been growing like quite significantly in recent years. And I'd like to say a few things about Best Places to Work, which is one I'm... Yeah, one I'm more heavily involved in personally. I mean, the importance of things like good working environment and structure has really rocketed in in uh, in the COVID era. And the process looks at really crucial issues from working from home policies, mental health support, diversity and, and so on. So I found it a kind of really good exercise, actually, for getting under the skin of some of the... Um, best policies, some of the most progressive and effective uh, policies and approaches. So I think it's useful for the entrants and for, for the judges and also for me just to understand what's going on there, who's at, who's at the cutting edge of, of workplace policy. So it's been it's been enlightening. And I, um, I uh, strongly recommend uh, reading all the winners' profiles when we publish them in May. Are there any sort of trends that you've picked up just, just going through the, the shortlist process? Well, I think a lot of them will come out over the, uh, over the judging period, but... I mean, there's been a really big focus on mental health support. I mean, there was there was last year as well when we did this. And last year, 
we had the awards uh, really in the weeks after lockdown was announced. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was there were some quite interesting initiatives put in place, and I think those have been increased and built upon um, over the past twelve months. So they'll be worth taking a look at. There's been a lot of work on uh, diversity um, and inclusion initiatives because obviously that's another another issue that has um, risen hugely in prom- uh, prominence in the last eight to ten months or so particularly okay well best luck to all of those in the running in this podcast we're going to do a bit of a news blitz and then a bit of a deep dive and take it from there What's been happening in the past days? Well, Government Communications Service Chief Alex Aiken has told staff he plans to reduce the overall size of government comms teams, including cutting arms-to-length bodies such as Ofcom. The majority of PR professionals only want to return to the office on a flexible basis. This is due to uh, some of the findings of PR Week exclusive research, with three days per week um, the most popular choice, and we're going to discuss this a little bit later on. Greg's, one of the most coveted PR accounts in recent years, has a new consumer PR agency. Hope and Glory have taken the account following a competitive pitch. Previously, um, John, I'm sure you'll recall, Greg's used several agencies, including Red Havas and Splendid and Taylor Herring for a time to sort of provide their consumer PR support. Other notable account wins this week includes H&K picking up a US pharma firm for a European brief and Halpin. They'll be representing Hydro, which is a rowing machine that was nominated as one of the Time magazine's top inventions of last year. I'm sure that's on your Christmas list, isn't it, John? It certainly is. Long way off, but <laughs> get Santa ready. <laughs> but I guess one of the key things, and I know we'll dive into this a bit later on, but it's really been a busy week for Downing Street, hasn't it? I mean, their current comms director, James Slack, has announced that he will be leaving the post. He's sailing off to the sun as deputy editor, and his predecessor, Lee Kane, um, has also set up a new comms agency, Charles By Limited. But I guess um, for us anyway, one of the biggest stories this week, and I think it's one that a lot of our listeners will be able to relate to, was this whole idea about returning to the office. And um, we've done some extensive research at PR Week where we asked readers when they would like to return and how often. It's an issue that industry leaders are really grappling with. Um, few of them that I've spoken to have all the answers. In fact, most of them don't. And they don't really know what the future of work looks like. But there was one very clear um, trend, if, if you like, from our research and also from speaking to industry leaders. Uh, nobody wants to do nine to five, five days a week anymore. That appears to be dead. All the agency leaders that I spoke to in recent weeks are pushing towards some sort of hybrid model that involves some days in the office and some days we're working, working remotely. Um, Golan and Virgo um, are pushing for complete flexibility where employees choose the number of days they want to be in the office, while others like Cowshed want all of their employees in on certain days, but maybe two or three days a week. And our, and our study sort of, sort of backs that up because the most popular option um, in terms of how many days people would like to be in the office was about three days a week. So I, I think that you're going to see a lot of that in the industry. Uh, John, what were some of the main takeaways that, that you took from this study? Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, um, Peerwigs editor-in-chief Danny Rogers wrote a piece uh, in recent days that kind of really, um, really talks about the genuine dilemma that agency bosses have got here. Um, and you heard about, you mentioned some of the policies from Golian and Cowshed and, and some others. And mm. um you know, I think on the one hand, many see real benefits to having uh, an office, having teams in there in terms of collaboration, creative ideas and keeping a kind of company culture together. Danny's point was that the really difficult conversations uh, about what to do have yet to happen. Yep. So my view is there's a pressing need to have these conversations with staff sooner rather than later. 
uh, because there really are some very important questions that need to be answered. You know, are you going to go uh, with a sort of rotor system? So you have different teams in on different days. Are certain roles going to be almost always working from home while others will be more in the office? Uh, could there even be different policies once a member of staff has been vaccinated? Is, is it ethical to ask an employee to come in before they've been vaccinated? And do we mean after one jab or do we mean after two jabs? Do we mean three weeks after your first jab? Quite a lot of questions here, really, When you, once you dig into it. Um, and also, could it depend on the transport situation? You know, if you, if you walk to work, you could say you're much less vulnerable than if you, you know, take three different tubes. Yeah. So there's no perfect answer. But I really think, um, personally, I'm wishing everyone good luck with this very difficult situation, very difficult question to, to come. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really feels like this pandemic, in some ways, has been a bit of a circuit breaker in terms of how we function as a society. And I, I think one of the ones that definitely within our industry and, and, and probably even in, in the media industry as well, to, to a degree, this this whole idea where, you know, presentees and we have to be at your desk from nine to five or, or whatever hour it might be, you have to be in every day of the week. I, I tend to feel those days are pretty much done and dusted. And I think it would be quite a brave agency boss um, to turn around and mandate their, their staff to come in every single day of the week. And, you know, when I was speaking to a few of the different um, industry leaders, there were some really interesting points about how this whole idea of flexibility being sort of hard baked in, into working life, how there are actually quite a few benefits around that. And one of those is is how you recruit. For example, if you're a London-centric firm, um, you know, if, if, if you're only asking your employees to come in every, every now and again, it is more feasible and realistic um, and viable, I guess, to actually reach out further afield in different parts of the UK and to get talent uh, um, and, and employees working from Manchester or it might even be, you know, as far north as, as, as Glasgow or wherever it might be. And this kind of, kind of provides an opportunity for the industry to perhaps become a bit more diverse and, and to reach out to talent pools that previously might not have been, you know, realistic or, or achievable. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think it goes even further than that. I mean, I spoke to um, Edelman a few weeks ago about about their approach and um, they've got 1,200 people across uh, the whole EMEA region. And the way um, the EMEA boss, Ed Williams, described it to me was we're going from a, a place of having, I don't know, I think it was 10 or 11 offices across EMEA to having 1,200 offices across EMEA. Mm. So effectively, when you don't have those physical offices because you physically can't have them, um, in a way, it, it forces teams to integrate better and ignore geography. So there is also that point. You know, if you're an agency or part of a network that operates across several different countries, there's really there really is that opportunity to sort of break down the sort of geographical restrictions and try and do something that is maybe a, a bit more fit for today. Um, so I think people have got to look at the opportunities as well as the um, you know, the challenges at the moment. And I, I think that's important. Yeah, and those, those challenges, are, you know, are, are quite vast, aren't they? I mean, when you think about basic little things, for example, like holding, you know, a meeting um, where you have some people in a boardroom and you have some people on Zoom, how do you make everyone feel included? Um, you know, there's all sorts of logistical challenges around pitching, for example. You, you know, it's very difficult to have a certain number of people in, in, an, in a room and, and on Zoom when you're trying to prepare for a pitch. And the creatives that I speak to, actually, they're, they're quite, they're very much of the mindset that, yes, we do like having a couple of days, you know, where we might be able to work remotely. It gives us a bit of headspace. But the best creativity happens, you know, in an environment where you're around people, where you're bouncing off people um, and you can't really replicate that. And then there's, there's also the whole like sort of training and development 
aspect of it as well. I mean, it's very hard to train people remotely. Um, a lot of the stuff that you learn in this industry, you, you learn on the job. You, you learn by listening to other people, by being coached by other people, mentored by other people. So these are the sorts of, sorts of challenges, if you like, that you can't really or easily replicate with, with sort of remote working, which which I think a lot of agencies will have to have to work out. That's right. I mean, there's the training by osmosis argument as well, isn't there? I mean, absolutely. I don't know about you. I mean, you know, we we both worked in various different journalism jobs, and I think there are definitely comparisons there. I mean, I don't know about you, but I learned a lot just from hearing how my senior colleagues would speak um, to PRs, to their contacts, and all the rest of it. You you pick up these sorts of approaches you find out what the sort of normal way of uh, having dialogue is and normal way of approaching things and you it's not something you can really train uh, in the same way so I, I i do feel that 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 is important absolutely i remember the days when i was a young you know a young hack and and i was you know learning learning the rope so to speak and i would have an editor who would literally grab a bit of paper run red pen pretty much through every second word because that's that's what she did and slam it on my table and start shouting at me telling me to rewrite the rewrite the same bit of copy you know over and over and over again until i got it right those sorts of things teach you so much and you can't really do that on a zoom call let's be honest yeah, I'm just making a mental note now of um, policies that I might implement under my editorship. <laughs> <laughs> must I I have must buy more red pens. Um, no, but more red pens. Absolutely. That's right. But no, you're right. I mean, um, we also have to be mindful of the fact that you know people are going to be working much more remotely now anyway than they would have been five, ten, fifteen years ago, regardless of COVID. Mm-hmm. But it, I, I definitely think. Um, it's going to take some careful planning so that you can keep this this learning by osmosis, more formal learning, company culture, um, and this sense of bouncing ideas off each other, um, while also recognising that nine to five and rush hour commutes um, every day are probably things that are mostly consigned to the dustbin. I would quite like to hear, actually, if there is an agency boss who is going to be insisting that their staff come in nine to five, five days a week. And I, I don't mean that in a sort of an excuse to sort of be scathing or to be overly critical because for some people it might be the best way for them and it might work for their staff. I don't know. But I think if anyone is in that situation, do drop us a line because, um, you know, I think we need to have this debate. This, this is the time to have it. It's a really good point. And, and I would also encourage all listeners who have different ideas about this to please do get in touch and, and let us know what your thoughts are. Um, you can either get in touch by emailing john, john.harrington at haymarket.com or emailing myself, arvin.hickman at haymarket.com. But yes, it would be very, it would absolutely be interesting to see an agency who actually says, you know what? No, we have to have you know, people coming in every single day. Um, that is an interesting discussion. And, and I, I guess it's an interesting challenge actually to how, how now to sell that to, to their teams, um, given that they've proven that they don't need to be in the office to actually do their jobs. Um, the other interesting aspect actually, which, which a couple of people raised was in, in terms of office space and whether, you know, some agencies who previously might've had central London offices. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, you know, no doubts paying quite a lot of rent. Um, might actually reconsider that and, and might actually go for a, an office in, a, in another place or, or go for one of those WeWork type options. Rent, rent is a massive overhead for agencies for power agents, one of the biggest costs. So it'll be interesting to see whether agencies, now that they've shown or, or they've seen that, that their teams can work effectively without a permanent base, whether they start looking at, at new office premises. Yes, and um, I mean, undoubtedly many will. It's interesting. Uh, I mean, some holding companies have already announced uh, that they're going to be doing this. Uh, Next 15, I believe, a few a few months ago, said they were looking to get rid of either 20 or 25 percent of their office space in London and New York. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm positive that there are a lot of uh, a lot of other agencies and holding companies that are looking looking very closely. In fact, I've, I've spoken to a few that, that are. And interestingly, you know, a lot of them did secure rent reductions uh, last year. I mean, I know this because I've seen the results of the uh, PRE uh, UK Top 150 Consultancies um, survey. So this this will be news that comes out a, a few weeks hence. But um, bit of a bit of a bit of a teaser there. Uh, having said that, I do know that there have been a sort of varied experience of of landlords. And I know we had um, we had a podcast, didn't we, uh, a couple of weeks ago with Warren Johnson of W, mm-hmm. who was very scathing yeah. of landlords. So oh, uh, <laughs> I was gonna, I was going to raise that actually. Warren Warren was uh, quite quite honest, yes, <laughs> and quite brutal in terms of how, in terms of the way that 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 his landlord um had basically been behaving throughout this pandemic. I mean, I, I guess that that's going to be the case for a lot of business now, isn't it? I mean, those that can afford to move or that don't need to be in a specific area they they might be reconsidering their relationship with landlords especially those ones that aren't so good uh, interestingly going back to edelman again they just moved into um a space in paris with i think it was 20 percent less less space um in terms of um number of people who can who can work there and they're, they're going to be moving from their london office next summer really yeah and they're they're um going to be probably looking at something similar but what what they say is the problem is they've got to take into account the fact they're expecting to grow and all agencies are expecting to grow or at least hoping to grow. So while you, you know, you're going to, you're going to think about less space uh, per, per head in a way, you've got to think, well, you're going to be expanding how many people are working. So <laughs> if you're hoping to expand by 20% over the next five years, there's not a lot of point getting an office that is 20% smaller, if you, if you get my, yeah. my meaning. I, I think though, if we look at the future of work, our office is going to be redesigned where it's less about desk space and it's more about sort of collaboration areas, if you get what I mean. Because one of the things that um, industry leaders have been telling me is that a lot of the stuff that you can do at your desk, you can do at home. Um, we don't need you in the office to do the desk stuff. It's actually more the meeting spaces and, and you know, the future blueprint of offices may be less of a focus on that sort of, you know, desk in desks in a row type type atmosphere and more sort of collaborative spaces um so so maybe it's more hot desk maybe that's that's kind of what Edelman has in mind the idea of having collaborative spaces is really important and also spaces to meet clients um and really make it a resource that's um less of a sense of being chained to it more of a sense of having it as a um a genuinely useful and kind of effective and nice place to be um alongside working from home working from 
working with clients uh, or working with other agencies or, you know, working from a coffee shop. It really feels like the uh, the jury's out as to what the, the best structure is. And chances are there isn't a best structure. But, you know, it, it feels like if we fast forward two or three years from now, things are going to look very different. Another business that is going to have a little bit more desk space in the near future is um, Downing Street. Um, obviously, with Number Ten um, Comms Director James Slack announcing that he's got a too difficult to refuse offer from the Sun. He's going to be deputy editor there. John, like uh, you have a bit of insight in this, don't you? In, in terms of what happens to the comms operation, you know, it's it's obviously a big machine. Do do they replace James, or, or given some of the other recent new roles that that have sort of been put into place at Number Ten, do they not bother? It's a good question, and um, I, I'll probably just sort of. Um, go back a little bit with a, a, a bit more detail because it's worth sort of it's worth sort of saying that you know slack is a very different uh person from his predecessor lee kane and a lot of people have kind of em- emphasized this this point and we've we've written about it at, at length i mean people talk about um james slack as being kind of softly spoken sort of fair polite individual in, in his approach to dealing with um dealing with the press whereas kane is often seen as more assertive maybe even abrasive or combative some say there was a famous incident last year early last year when some members of the lobby were banned from uh, attending a brexit briefing and there was a bit of a um bit of a bit of mutiny there so that is that is worth highlighting i mean kane is very much seen as a sort of part of the vote leave contingent at downing street really you know he mm. was involved in that campaign um along with dominic cummings so some would say their approaches uh, are more geared towards campaigning than governing although others point to his Kane's strengths, particularly around social media and video as communication tools. He's a former tabloid journalist himself, famously dressed as a chicken to heckle Tory politicians <laughs> while he was at the Well, mill. I mean, you have to give him credit, don't you? I mean, they, they won they won Brexit. They won the Brexit vote. So, you know, he's obviously pretty good at what he does when it comes to that that sort of campaigning. Yeah. Um, so this is it. I mean, he, he clearly has strengths. It was really a sort of, as, as well as the, the wider political aspect of uh, Dominic Cummings and the sort of, if you like, as I say, the, the vote leave contingent um, and the fact that there was a, um, a real clash there by the end with um, Boris Johnson and, and, and others. Um, it really feels like it's a very um, different atmosphere there. But I mean, crucially, it's worth saying that um, Slack, unlike Kane, was a civil servant, apparently on his own request. And it suggests, you know, he really wanted the role to be less overtly political. And so coming back to your, your question, uh, what, what happens next? I mean, I've heard some suggestions that Boris Johnson could not replace the role at all given he's got some very experienced um, and influential figures in his comms team already, uh, Allegra Stratton, uh, Downing Street Press Secretary, uh, and the more recent hire, Max Bain, Johnson's spokesman. I mean, I think there will be a replacement. I mean, pe- people say that this job is too big to sort of uh, not have uh, someone in, in that role. If I had to bet on it, I'd say my money is on someone more from the slack mould. Mm-hmm. As you know, I, I, I think the government's comms have in general been better in the past sort of three or four months regards the regular covid briefings yeah it, it feels like it's been less combative towards the media and and a little bit more sort of collaborative um i mean under kane as you mentioned there, there were several incidents weren't there where he basically wouldn't deal with some sections of the media and that isn't perhaps the best approach um for a number 10 comms director because you you, you know you, you create entities and 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 slack seems, very much seems to have gotten that whole operation a little bit more aligned with a broader range of, of, of media outfits. So it will be very interesting to see who would step into that role if, if they're going to get someone in and whether it's more of a slack mold. I, I, I suspect you're right. Another argument here is that um, the government has had a slightly easier ride in, in the last 
three or four months because of all the, the, the good news ministers have been um, imparting around the vaccine rollout. Um, and also there's less of the tension over Brexit, um, which perhaps suits did suit a more combative approach, you know, arguably. PR Week readers may remember our weekly Flack on Friday gossip column. Well, as you know, Flack has been on furlough, but is making a swift return for our final segment of the PR Weekly each episode. Uh, just a reminder, if you guys do have any interesting tidbits, um, please do start sending them back. Flack is back. Um, this week, we're going to take you behind the scenes of the PR Cup Winter Series, which um, kind of kicked off in spring. Uh, now, before we go into the details, I just want to say a big thank you to the organisers, including Ready10 and World Chess. Right, so the past few weeks, we have held the PR Cup Winter Series. Um, it's kind of an online tournament of chess, um, FIFA 21 and Words with Friends. Now, we've finished the chess tournament and we're in the middle of FIFA and Words with Friends starts today. Uh, John, I took part in the chess tournament, um, which we ran in partnership with World Chess and it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, we had about 30 players um, over three rounds, which included a final. There was a really, really good mix of chess talent. Some people who are absolute weapons and some who probably weren't quite as good, including myself. The event was eventually won by one of our colleagues in the US, which is a little embarrassing, um, but Steve Barrett. He was the, the eventual winner. Um, he was just so incredibly good at chess. I played him twice and he absolutely wiped the floor with me. But the three finalists, you know, the three top players were all excellent. Um, second was Field Consulting's John Andrews and third place was Jenny Muir from Hope and Glory. I, I, I know I asked you to attend and you, you weren't quite um, keen on the idea of playing chess, but... I, th I think it's the sort of thing that we should do more often in the industry. The reason why we did this initially, um, I was having a chat with Warren one day and, you know, we were all sort of feeling a bit down. It was sort of in the middle of winter and we just wanted to do something to get people together and raise a bit of money for charity. Uh, we raised, you know, more than a thousand pounds for a charity called NABS, which provides um, mental well-being support for people in our industry and, and just get a little, little bit of fun back into it. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, I have to say I'm so incredibly ignorant about chess. I really... I don't have any. I don't have anything constructive to say on the, the subject, <laughs> but I, I, I do know. Um, you know, I know Steve represents PoE US, but don't be fooled. He is. He is. Mm. Um, he is a, a British player. He is. We, we are claiming him as one of our own. Because um, <laughs> although enough. although he's he he plies his trade in in America, he is actually I believe from Kent. So there you go. But no, and congratulations to uh, John and, and Jenny as well. Um, and indeed, our, yourself, Arvind, and, and Ian, our, our other colleague who took part. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really important. I mean, you know, let's face it, one of the things that this industry does well is the networking element. Absolutely, absolutely. That's sort of that thing that takes the edge off the fact that we're all working really hard. And I think, you know, during lockdown, we need a respite from that. Um, and games can be really good fun. I just wish I knew how chess worked. I mean, the thing is... <laughs> I don't I don't wish enough to try, you know. I I just wish I knew it already. Yeah. I'm a bit like that with languages. It's like I wish I just knew, but I don't want to have to learn my verbs. I mean, it's not it's not too late for you to enter word, words with friends. Now that that is a game that you surely would do well in. Being being the editor of PR Week, surely you you'd be one of the front runners for that. Oh, that's just building me up. There's <laughs> too much pressure now. <laughs> too much pressure. I'm I might buckle. Um let's discuss it later, but <laughs> possibly. Sure, sure. 
Well, anyway, um, just just to let you know, just to give you a bit of an update, in the FIFA tournament, <laughs> Don't Cry Wolf's John Brown, um, he recently posted on Twitter how he was going to dominate. You know, he won his first two games quite well, and he was being a bit brash, a bit bold about it. Moments later, he played against someone called Sam DeLad from an agency called White London, and <laughs> he basically lost 4-0 <laughs> just after he posted his, his big brash announcement about how he's going to you know, wipe the floor with everyone. And I have a pretty good authority that John was not best pleased. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Sam DeLad and John meet in later rounds. But Hope and Glory's James Bunting is also doing really well in the other group. Um, there's plenty of FIFA football to go, so you know it's early days yet. But that is shaping up to be quite a spicy tournament. What on Sam? Do we know who Sam the lad? Uh, um, I, I, I don't. I don't believe I do know him. But I'll, I'll try and f- hunt him down and, and find out who he is. Yeah, sounds good. Sam the lad, if you can hear us, if you're listening to this podcast, please do get in touch. That is all we have time for today. Please do visit our website, prweek.com forward slash UK to stay up to date with all of the latest news and analysis. We would also love to hear your feedback on the PR Weekly. You can email myself at arvind, A-R-V-I-N-D dot H-I-C-K-M-A-N at haymarket.com or John Harrington. You can email him on John dot harrington h-a-r-r-i-n-g-t-o-n at haymarket.com um do provide your feedback um you know this is the first episode that we've had and we are always looking to evolve it i don't believe john we're having an episode next week because of easter but we will be back shortly thereafter thanks so much for joining us john and thank you all for listening until next time i'm arvin hickman goodbye